On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing the groundbreaking 1996 Santa Claus epic, Santa with Muscles, starring Terry Hulk Hogan. Joining us for discussion will be Corey Miller of the Showdown Podcast and the WrestleMania Podcast. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. Let's try that song again. Do you know it? Start me off. I'll always remember the time I spent with you. November, December, April, May, and June. You were my angel baby. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 65. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your co-hoster that lives by all of Blake's rules, Cullen. Yeah, I gotta say, if this is what gave Hulk Hogan the Hollywood nickname, I think that it should be revoked. Today we are here to discuss the 1996 film, Santa with Muscles. Brother, how's the Hulkster save Christmas? An evil millionaire believes he is Santa Claus after an accident renders him with amnesia. Santa with Muscles is directed by John Murlowski, written by three people. (laughs) And one of the people had their names removed from it because they changed the story so much. It stars Hulk Hogan, Ed Bagley Jr., Robin Curtis, Garrett Morris, I'm not making this up, Mia Kunis, Don Stark, and Clint Howard. And of note, the movie was produced by Jordan Belfort, yes, the same guy that Leonardo DiCaprio portrayed in The Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) I imagine there was some kind of drug use that went on to make this movie possible. There's no way a sober person would say, yes, this is a movie of quality. We know what was on the ice cream truck, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, we go on from Star Wars to another war on Christmas, right? Oh, uh, th- This year's with the Hulkster, as we mentioned before, Chuck Norris fought a Christmas battle, and so did Dan Haggerty. But we're not alone this year in our holiday tidings. Hopping into the sleigh or onto the moped this year with us, we have from the Showdown Podcast and the WrestleMania Podcast, it's... Corey Miller. Hey, thanks for having me. Corey, actually, this isn't your first appearance on the show. You kind of cameoed in our live episode this past summer. Greetings, Indie PopCon food eaters and Corey Miller. We are <laughs> Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Corey's Weird. eating food, too. He's doing both. Thank He's you, eat- Corey. Swallow, Corey. He's He's stimulating the economy and being entertained. Yes. He's a champion of the human spirit. Thank you, Corey. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's it's planting the the Christmas seeds for that tree. So, so Corey, for our people, if they never listened to us on your show when we did it earlier in the year, tell us about all the stuff you have going on. You're quite a busy podcaster, too. 
Uh, the Showdown Podcast is a podcast where we take a look back at uh, older films and we determine whether or not uh, they still hold up or if they're any good. Uh, it's a fun time. We just we just have a lot of fun with it instead of, you know, like there'll be some movie podcasts where they talk about the movie and they're really serious. We ha- we just have fun with it and, and that's what that's what our show's always been about. Just having fun, cracking jokes and what have you. So, Corey, what about WrestleMania Podcast? It kind of ties you in here. WrestleMania is a show that Brad and I do where we talk wrestling. We look back uh, at Raw and SmackDown and whatever pay-per-view might be that week, and we talk about that. We may talk about things that are going on behind the scenes, and uh, we just, we just, again, it's just having fun. We, we've got zany, there's zany voices. Um, we try not to sound too much like a morning radio show, but uh, we, we say that for the showdown. So for those wrestling fans that stumbled upon this and it's your first episode, go... Uh... We won't be talking about wrestling much more, but for you Hulk Hogan cinemaphiles out there, yes. Uh, and again, we ju- we just have fun. We we don't know everything there is to know about wrestling. We've never stepped in a ring, but we do. We are big fans, and we do like to talk about it. So uh, so that's what we do. You know who else has a fun time doing their thing? Tom Labrie. Hi, Tom Labrie with some more reasons to put a smile on your face and some comfort in your life. And by that, I mean Christmas comfort. We know sometimes shopping can be more of a pain than a joy, and that's why, again this year, we've turned our entire showroom into a fun place to shop. You can walk through and really get that Christmas feeling. We're here to help you, not to hassle you. Look for the LaBreeze 12 Gifts of Christmas, and they're all affordable, and we're making it fun, not frustrating the shop. Take a look. Sleep in Christmas comfort as LaBreeze Waterbeds makes holiday shopping the pleasure it should be in Sacramento, Stockton, and Pleasant Hill, presenting our famous 12 gifts of Christmas. Your choice for the kids of four beds under $100. The beginning, the Capri, the California, or the Space Maker, each under $100. For the rest of the 12 gifts, Come see us. LaBreeze is your home for Christmas comfort in Sacramento, Stockton, and Pleasant Hill. So moving on, we're going to Santa with Muscles. This came out in theaters. I was shocked. Yeah. For two for two weeks. <laughs> around $220,000. Um, it was supposed to be, I guess, Hogan's follow-up to Suburban Commando and Mr. Nanny. This was supposed to be like, the next thing. Well, they sure learned from those. Those were hits. <laughs> those yeah, were, those were hits. Yeah. I mean, he was. <laughs> the first time I heard about this was in like like someone did a review of it in a, my school newspaper, and I read it like, "Oh, shut up! They're just making this up. That movie didn't happen." Because I, I didn't, like I thought like, "Well, if there's a Hulk Hogan movie out there where he plays Santa Claus, I would have heard about it." You're making this up, but here we are, decades later. It's it's very very real, unfortunately. Yeah, another Santa movie that only went in theaters for two weeks that we covered was Silent Night, Deadly Night. But that movie made its money back and then some before it got pulled. This was a disaster. I thought that's what it was, or a TV movie, and wow. Well, it's shot like a kind of like a direct-to-video movie, plus the acting is very direct-to-video caliber. Just like, you know, direct-to-video American Psycho 2's Mila Kunis is part of it, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it looks it, like someone saw Home Alone and said, they're being too subtle. Be more animated. I mean, if you look at the directing and then you look at the what the director has done, it's like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, it, it's just a, a fantastic parade of crap. Yeah, that's and he's still working. But, I mean, he's got an un, unabashed just resume of just junk. Cop dog. 
Terminal Error, The Secret Agent Club. He did it, one of the straight-to-video Amityville sequels in the 90s. Christmas Mail, Zombie Hamlet. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we could spend the rest of our podcast doing his movies. Like, it's... <laughs> He's got two films in production, post-production, actually. Three movies this year. Wow. His movies must be just like a front for the mafia or money laundering. There's no way someone would say, get me the man that directed Ghost Hamlet. Very true. Do you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yes. Do you remember when Napoleon went to the water park? Yes. Do you remember when the guy pushed him down the slide? Yes. That that guy was one of the writers of this movie. <laughs> yeah, one of the other writers just was like an actor and casting agent. This is the only thing they wrote. And they're like, I'm going to try this writing thing. May have, a, may have a hand in that. The other writer is only known for Santa with Muscles. No credits anywhere ever other than Santa with Muscles. Man, what a, what a terrible legacy. And, and you know, like, three writers, I'm like, yeah, there's, th- like, three different movies within this. Three completely different movies that they're like, well, let's make this happen. <laughs> there's a bunch of, there's an evil scientist, uh, there's a, a billionaire, and there's... There's super-powered <laughs> goons? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's so much. There's so much thrown at the wall. There's the orphanage going out. Like, the scientists in this movie... They they don't seem like mad scientists or evil scientists. They're just scientists that are just kind of dicks. They're dick scientists. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not urologist. That's oh, different... all right, all right, all right. <laughs> That's different. So, all right, let's just get into this because there's just too much craziness to just sit and chat about. We, we start this movie, uh, we see this rich estate, and we hear a letter from a girl named Elizabeth writing Santa about a villain in her town named Mr. Frost. She doesn't want anything for herself, uh, but her friends in town need Santa's help. Mr. Frost has been a bully to the people in Lakeville, and people are starting to move away, and now the orphanage she lives in is in danger of being taken away, and it's just a few days before Christmas. Santa's only power I know of is gift-giving, but okay. okay. Yeah, Santa's not really known to stop bullying. We then cut to Blake, who's... Hulk Hogan's character with a full head of blonde hair. Like, yeah, that's right, brother. Was he, anyone else waiting for him just to peel off his wig? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't look right. It's not that he's not bald. It's that, like, him with short hair just feels weird. Yeah. And, and he's also got a regular person mustache, not that big handlebar mu- mustache that he, you know, usually has. And it's yeah, just... the look was the look was definitely odd. For yeah. him. Yeah. When you're so used to him looking the other way. I will, I am glad you didn't have that, that fake black beard on the side. I hate, I've always hated that. <laughs> and I feel like he, he's doing some sort of like recreation of the end of Commando at this mansion. The, uh, the $5 <laughs> version. And it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. He beats up some guard and he's like, Never stop to smell the roses. It's like, oh, uh, we're going here was, all movie. Yep. And he goes to take this gold box off the porch, and he's attacked by a chef, a driver, a groundskeeper, the the wine connoisseur guy, and another goon. Like, he's surrounded. It costs time. But I thought it was kind of funny how, like, the staff of this house kept coming to attack him. I thought, because I didn't know what was going on at first, but I thought it was kind of humorous. Have you seen Why Him with James Franco? 
There's a scene where Keegan Michael Key plays like his I don't know assistant slash butler what have you is like confidant or whatever, and he does the exact same thing to James Franco. He okay. will try to attack him, and so they end up. There are several scenes where they're just fighting. So I think that's where they got the inspiration was uh, same with muscles. Huh. That that adds up, sure. Now, when James Franco fought this guy, did it look like he was in shape? Because every person that Hulk Hogan fights are just people that work in his mansion, and they're not—they're uh, not like a you know a bunch of slobs. But I wouldn't call them in great physical shape, right? Like no, a yeah, lot of people with guts. In better condition. Yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not really fair that you know Hulk Hogan, known for you know being a pretty strong person and also has superhuman strength in this movie. It doesn't seem cool that he's fighting with the gardener. He gets surrounded and then he calls time and he asks how he did and they give him a time and they all kiss his butt about it, tell him he's great. And apparently he's done bad because he's not happy about it. So this was all a, a, a sham thing and we, we find out he's a salesman of some sort of like whey powder type stuff, health products. He's a, he's a really fit guy that sells fitness food to people and it's probably trash <laughs> yeah what you what what do you think uh, his level of celebrity is at the, for this character infomercial host yeah. the sham wow probably those type some, guys probably somewhat famous well yeah well yeah, i mean his I, face I, I have questions about that later yeah his face is on all of his products right yeah that's and that's what that's why i'll, I'll bring it up a little bit later but yeah i was just like you know what because he's got a huge man- mansion so you think that he's doing really well yeah lakeville so, a small town two humongous estate mansions in the uh, area yeah well real estate you know doesn't cost very much so right so this place that he was breaking in and all this was his he's also we find out got blake's rules to life and he seems to love himself quite a bit hmm that should be another one of Blake's rules. Make a note, Chaz. Make it rule number... What number are we up to now? 385. Right. Make it 386. Never mix business with pleasure. Ooh, I'm hot today. Better write that one down, Chaz. The rules are important, guys. What would we have without Blake's rules anyway? After he gloats a lot to his butler, he leaves to go play paintball with all his buddies that leave in Hummers, dirt bikes, and Jeeps. (laughs) Yeah. That's what we were all waiting to see, just a middle-aged man going to play paintball. Mm -hmm. How old is he supposed to be? Because he acts like a kid. He acts like a teenager or, you know, somebody in their 20s shooting paintballs at, at cops. And his really? voice is softer than we're used to. You know, it's not the, the Hulkster voice where he's talking to Mean Gene and all that kind of stuff. It's just softer. And it's just kind of, I mean, I guess it's his regular voice. It's just super weird. It's the one where he's trying to be soft. and nor- Like, he normally takes that voice in his movies at one point. Like, I'm sure Mr. Nanny had that scene where he takes that tone. But mm-hmm. he has it throughout this movie. He doesn't get really riled up in this. Of all the Hulk Hogan's movies, this is the one where his eyes bug out the least. Because yes. in every other movie he does, there's some point in the movie where something upsets him, and his eyes get all big, and he starts breathing hard, and you know, it basically looks like he's having like a coronary. But that never happens in this one. Yes, Hogan himself was 43 when this movie came out. He might have been 42 when they were shooting really? it, but yeah, he was 43. 
So they, they go out to some remote desert area and drive around stupidly and catch the attention of a crazed police officer played by Clint Howard. I'm just going to refer to him as Clint Howard the rest of the movie because I didn't pick up a cop name. I don't think it's worthwhile. It's not important, no. It's a B movie in the 90s, so I think Clint Howard was... Uh... He, was he was in the lobby just waiting to be told when to clock in. I think it was a a bill was passed in 91 that if there's a B movie Clint Howard needed to be in it. Clint Howard was like uh, what was it was like R Kelly in the OOs with like rap songs that needed like a R&B verse. <laughs> He's just waiting in the lobby of the studio to go sing a sing a hook and then leave. It would have been great if they didn't mention the cop's name, but if you look close enough his badge it just says Taylor. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> or Taylor's there was a on hard times. There was a child named Taylor in this, and maybe it's him from the future. And there's some sort of time travel story they forgot to re-enter into this <laughs> film because it was written by three people, and there are super-powered beings mm, in this, yeah. and super crystals and shit. So I don't know. <laughs> so, so Clint Howard gives chase, and all these other cops come, and Blake he thinks it's fun to run from the cops, and he says, "Rule twenty-one: never surrender." And so he begins doing a smart thing, like shooting paintball pellets at the cops. Mm-hmm. I know he says never surrender, but he is breaking the law. I mean, at least he is when he's trying to run away from the cops. I don't know if having a motorcycle bump into a police car is against the law. It probably is, but it's overreaction, Blake. You're yeah. rich. You can bu- Come on. You'll get out of this. Who cares? You're fine. Well, he turns into Lakeville which is uh, where the uh, orphanage is that we heard about at the beginning. We go to the Lakeville Mall, and we see kids awaiting the arrival of Santa, who's not coming. We go back to the chase, where Blake says, When in doubt, get out! And then jumps out of the Hummer, and bailing <laughs> and on his moving, friend. And moving Humvee. Yeah, well, his friend's passenger! Like, yeah! <laughs> he could have, like, killed his friend! Yeah. Uh, he jumps out of what is essentially a moving tank. On a city street. And, and doesn't break a leg. No, it doesn't break <laughs> a leg. Has no concern for what happens to that vehicle or the guy that's in it. Or anybody that might get hit while the passenger is trying to get over to the driver's side. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised Blake didn't jerk the wheel in one direction to make it, you know, jump the curb and crash into a house. So he goes to run to the mall, of course, and the elf guys are in. There's like this. There's, you know, they have that house that's always around Santa, sit on his lap at the mall. But this is an actual like break room or something for these guys. They're the elf. It's like a dozen elves inside right. of the house, and they're waiting on Santa. And the woman who's running the show here says she has fifty bucks for the first one to bring her Santa. And we have this one named Lenny who's on the phone with his bookie or something, owing him money. He's interested in this. That's uh, the dude from Mike and Molly. Remember the yes. TV show? Oh, the Lenny guy? Yeah. yeah. He was also He's on a- uh, that 70s show with Mila Kunis. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's right! <laughs> yeah. Our first that 70s show actor appearance. We cut to Dr. Blight, which is Frost's personal physician who happens to be torturing some guy upside down. Uh, he makes him watch a video of Frost, which is actually a, a live video communicating device, asking for an agreement on the sale of his shoe store. And then he brings out his staff of scientists. Allow me to introduce you to the world-renowned geologist, Mr. Flint. Interesting fossil. <laughs> Canadian chemist, Mr. Vile. Some find the scent of methane gas offensive. <laughs> I like to think of it as 
nature's perfume. <laughs> the electrifyingly beautiful Miss Watt. Oh, spring. I'll give you all a chance to get acquainted. Of course, the girl just her power is beauty. And not electricity or anything <laughs> like, like that. By the way, Miss Watt, she was in a little movie called Robocop. Yeah. She was one of the cocaine whores in Robocop. <laughs> I love how Frost gave them enough time to give a little catchphrase type of speech every time he introduced them. And also, I I wanted to say too. Frost is that kind of like a take on Jack Frost? Do they use that name? They're like, no, let's like, use that. His name's like Ebby Frost or ever like yeah, it's it's just it's like Christmas Frost. And I wonder if Blake is like Snowflake. I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised they just weren't. It's like the, it. they go somewhere with Christmas esque names and then just kind of stop and maybe gave up. It's and this this whole scene, I'm like, wait, what movie is this? This feels <laughs> yeah. like something out of like a cheap TV X Men movie. Yeah, I don't because they've all got this special equipment like strapped to them as well. Like Doctor Vile apparently deals with methane. That's his big thing because farts. Back of the mall, Blake is wandering the back halls and finds a Santa outfit. Of course, just nowhere near the Santa thing. Just out in the middle. Changes into it as the cops are still searching for him. The cops stop him in the Santa outfit and are apparently convinced. Then some kid stops him with a list and he blows him off. And then the cops notice some army fatigue hanging out of his jacket. And they give chase and they lose him as Blake is hanging in the trash chute. Right next right, to the like, cops. Hands clearly there. But you gotta remember, it's Clint Howard, so makes sense, right? I'm amazed that Clint Howard found his way into the mall considering he was supposed to be chasing him in his car. <laughs> I'm also surprised because Blake jumped out of that car. He was wearing camouflage. So, I mean, he was like invisible, basically. There's that too. Some guy starts dumping trash from above and he gets hit on the head with a Santa statue and falls to the first floor where the elf Lenny finds him and he goes, oh, another drunk mall Santa. And he goes to drag him out and steals his army clothes and a wallet full of hundreds. And then he realizes that Santa is Blake Thorne via his wallet. He does this after he sees this man fall out of a garbage chute and hit his head on a dumpster. He's gotten hit on the head at least twice, if not a third time from hitting the ground. And he says, like, you know what? Yeah, sure. This is a perfect opportunity to rob someone. Well, the guy is a drunk, so to his uh, defense, it was right for the picking. And uh, apparently, like, he is in a deep to Dr. Frost. However, for fifty what? Yeah, we, we don't know for <laughs> what. And also, the $50 reward to find Santa was enough to make him feel better. So he's like, oh, you know, Dr. Frost looking off my back a little bit. Like, you cannot owe that much if $50 will give you some breathing room. <laughs> so Blake comes to, and he doesn't remember anything, and then Lenny convinces him that he is Santa Claus, takes him out, and then has him work them all. And out by the line, we see two punks. One's got a dare shirt on. We see them head over to possibly rob this donation for the, the uh, orphanage's bowl. They got this huge bowl of money and a, a woman asleep next to it. And then we have a montage of kids sitting on Blake's lap. And Lenny then tries to rob money from Blake's card at the ATM, but it needs a thumbprint. You know, those those ATMs that are using thumbprints, those were everywhere. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When did they use those? And and later on, how did they know it was the wrong fingerprint? Sorry, I'm jumping ahead there. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> 
I, I did want to say though, does does this take place like in California or somewhere on the West Coast? I did think so. Say? I think so. It has to, because we see palm trees in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So Lenny is from New York. Is there kind of a hint of a New York accent there? I think just the actor. And the and the guy one of the guys that was stealing the money from the orphanage. He had a, he had a like a New Yorker Brooklyn accent. They look like subway thugs in New York, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. We go back and they're just now stealing the money. Like it, I, they go to steal it, and then we have like a huge montage of tons of kids sitting on Santa's lap. Then this guy goes to an ATM to rob it, and then they're just now getting to the table to steal the money. They're really uh, sneaky. Yeah, so sneaky <laughs> yeah. they take the whole bowl and put it under the shirt. And it, it's a huge bowl. It's like an astronaut helmet. It's that kind of size. Probably it's bigger, bigger than, than an astronaut. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like an exercise ball. It looks like he's pregnant with octuplets. Right. <laughs> they drop it, of course, and they, they scramble to pick up the money, and a girl catches them and yells for Santa about it, and Blake gets up and confronts the punks. Someone's been very naughty. What are you gonna do about it, Santa? Give me a lump of coal. And then they start fist fighting and punching, and they're using various props from the Santa set. Blake wins, and the super now full mall erupts in cheer. <laughs> like, there are people everywhere. Like, if there was a space to be filled, there was a person there. Well, that but, line to see Santa was insanely long. I, like, I it don't still believe... is at this point. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't believe anyone was ever that excited to see santa there's no way this thing was like around the block to see it It was multiple levels of people waiting to see santa what parent would say like yes let's wait in this line i think all of them be like uh you wrote a letter right let's get the hell out of here we'll come back another day yeah Uh, so the kids help him clean up the area and then lenny thinks that Blake could be very helpful to him. Blake then sees the mission donation table and says that they need to help them and go right now. So Lenny and him take off on a scooter to go to the orphanage. As everybody is cheering. Now, if the line was really that long and you've been waiting for a while, why would you cheer for him to leave? (laughs) I'd be a little upset. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, sure, we saw Santa beat the hell out of two people, but I want to tell him what I want for Christmas. Exactly. We're, <sighs> we're still here for a reason. Yeah, like, the mall doesn't close for hours. Where are you going? <sighs> Lenny, you're still on the clock. You just found him. He's been gone all morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Santa's been there for, I don't know, half an hour, and then he bones out, and everyone's just totally cool with it. Exactly. Excited, even. Because they're all waving goodbye happily. Yeah, even like two old ladies were smiling and pointing, and they were they were really happy. Frost gets mad at Blight for equipment in his office not being sanitary, and then he goes over to his domination plan, this light-up map that has X's on it everywhere but the orphanage, as uh, one dude is still being tortured outside. Do you ever wonder where the big bad guys get these big maps with the lights on it and everything? Like, who makes it for yeah, them? Yeah, like... Because that was like a big thing in the James Bond movies, too. Yeah. Huge map. Yeah. 
It's like, who made that? Did you have, like, you know, you got a special map-making team in your, in your crew there? It was the guy whose uh, idea got rejected from the Pentagon. He's like, well, I'll make some money off this somehow. I'll just sell it to bad guys. It's an evil map-maker. He was uh, originally going to be one of the henchmen with Miss Watt and, you know, Doc Vile and whatever, but he's just in the back just making more maps anytime <laughs> Dr. Frost needs a new map. His scenes were cut. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. It's like, what if I throw maps at them? Could I be one of your crew? No, no, no. We got uh, we got guys with T squares. Uh, th- you know, they're, they're the real <laughs> villains, real tough dudes. Yeah, maybe we got yep. maybe maybe he's one of the guys that gets randomly added to the villain roster at the end. <laughs> so, oh, I got a comment for that. Yeah. Blight takes to the ice cream truck with the crazy scientists with him, and they arrive at the orphanage as they put Christmas sale signs in the yard. And he asks Leslie who's running the place and how the relocation is going. Blake and Lenny arrive as the scientists are leaving and dragging a statue off with them. And Clayton, played by Garrett Morris, he's one of the guys that helps at the orphanage, he chases them out to the street and they're going to run him over. But just in time, Blake has grabbed the rope that was pulling the statue and has stopped the truck. He growls at them, uh, but they laugh and they drive away. Well, they back up. They say... I don't know, some something stupid, and then they drive away. Merry Christmas, Santa! <laughs> I mean, I know he held the, the rope to save Garrett Morris's life, but these are obviously bad guys. Why did you let them go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the orphanage people thank him and offer him dinner, and Mila Kunis yeah. is one of them. Thanks the for orphanage. letting the bad guys go. Come on in and have dinner. Well, in his defense, she should have called the cops much earlier than that. <laughs> well, I mean, your your town cops are Clint Howard. Are you calling the cops? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. The cops that also have rocket launchers. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Small town rocket launchers, sure. So Santa sits in with them at dinner, and they all talk, and they tell him about Mr. Frost, and Elizabeth brings Santa milk and cookies. He struggles to eat and drink them because they're not healthy, but Lenny forces it down, and they have a dinner together, which is jerk chicken! Lenny is telling stories about Santa, and we offer Santa and Lenny a place to stay for the night. Yeah, is, is, is Lenny homeless? Why doesn't he just go home? <laughs> <laughs> So they're prepping to close down in this orphanage, and they found homes for all the kids but the three that are there. Bum, yeah. bum, Which uh, they probably yeah. they probably got one of these scripts, and it was like, orphanage, and they're like, well, how do we cut down on money? Well, they're closing it, and here's three kids left. <laughs> That's what I felt like when I saw the three kids. Like, where is everyone else? Oh, no, they are, as uh, the one kid puts it, the leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it's tough to work with kids on film, so let's just do three. Right. <laughs> we're just gonna cut. We're gonna cut the size of this orphanage down way, way down. We're gonna get two kids that can kind of act, and then the other one that we just need to fill in space. So Lenny and Blake go to sleep, and but Blake's looking in the mirror, and Lenny's like, "Don't worry, you're Santa." The next morning, the paper reads the headline: "Santa with muscles." There's your title drop. Title drop. <laughs> Blake wanders in without the Santa stuff, which shocks Elizabeth, and he quickly rebounds with, uh, Mrs. Claus says it tickles, so I just wear it for deliveries. Now, what kind of joke was that one? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of joke? I'm not sure about that one. I'd also like to point out that that girl's name is Elizabeth, like Miss Elizabeth. Oh! <laughs> you want to get a little trickier there? 
Okay. Uh, Leslie, Miss Hannigan, that runs the orphanage. Robin Curtis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the last name of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh, that's so. Oh, that's sweet. And we'll get. Who happened to be friends with Hulk Hogan? <laughs> yes, time. we'll circle back to that as well. Speaking of, Leslie swears she knows him from somewhere, and then Lenny notices one of Blake's cereal boxes is on the table. That's what they're eating, and tries to hide it and scrunches it up in his arm and says he's going to recycle it. And then Lenny remembers needing the thumbprint from Blake and watches him as he, in slow-mo, drinks his milk. And then, like, like the music builds, and I just thought, why are you so happy? Did you not realize he had hands before? Like, I didn't realize what Lenny's plan was. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit overdramatic. Yeah. Mila Kunis' character Sarah has redone his Santa outfit overnight. Like, did she sleep? Like, what What happened here? <laughs> it, it's now a, a, a no-sleeve vest version of the Santa outfit. And the black gloves. And news- he's dressed like Bone Storm Santa from The Simpsons. The news team shows up and wanting an interview with him. And he, he does the interview with Lenny giving him hand signals for the answers. And it's super awkward. Did they ever say that the uh, the news lady ever say how she found out he was there? Maybe she reported them all, and they all go, "Well, he said we need to go save the orphanage, and we he got on a moped with this other guy, and they they drove off." Yeah, that's the only that's the only way I could figure it out. I'm like, how did the, how did she even know where to go? There's only one orphanage in town. Frost is watching this on the news. He's he's mad that they put the orphanage on the map. Frost thinks that Santa looks familiar, and while Lenny is trying the ATM again, Blight and the science loons grab him and take him to Frost via the ice cream truck, which plays the Alfred Hitchcock Presents theme. The Frost, pleasure to see you. Sir. I was just working on repaying that loan. You're making trouble for me, you little worm. Last thing I need is anyone drumming up support for that orphanage. I want that Santa with muscles out of there. Am I coming in clearly? We have a very good connection, sir. I understand every word. No more talk. So, so Lenny's big plan was to take the glass that Blake was using and roll that on top of the um, the thumbprint scanner. Right. That's not how it works, so, Lenny. That is not how it works. Apparently, he's never used a thumbprint scanner before in his life. But apparently, it did work. Except no. that it was the wrong thumb. <laughs> so it would have worked somehow. So the Wait. lasers for or, or the the screen to scan it would. It's like that's fine. It doesn't matter that it's going. The the, the light is going through the parts where there's no thumbprint because mm-hmm. it's glass. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a person who shoots electricity in this, so okay. Uh, <laughs> so inside, he talks to Frost via the TV, the monitor they they take around. A cell phone would be so much easier, but they need him to, <laughs> to get Santa out of town. We immediately cut to Lenny trying to get Santa to leave town <laughs> right after that. Santa goes into the church to hear Elizabeth singing and talks to her. And she asks if Santa has a mommy and daddy. And he says he doesn't remember. And she doesn't remember her parents either. And she says she's okay if he doesn't wear the beard. And then they sing the song Angel Baby together. This touching Which, moment uh, from Santa with Muscles. Sh- sure. If that's what you want to call it. <laughs> sure. It's It certainly doesn't slow the movie down needlessly. <laughs> that was his Oscar moment. Yes. <laughs> God. 
In the living room, they're doing some decorating and stuff, and Clayton tells Blake he's proud of him, and he made something out of himself after all. And the, the statue head then comes flying through the window, and it has a note that says, Only one shopping day till Christmas. Blake puts on his hat and says, Keep the milk and cookies warm. He goes outside to confront Blight and his goons, who are just standing outside. Like, these guys just... It's about 5.30, let's go check on the orphanage. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what all this movie is. <laughs> Is these yeah. guys just stopping by to piss off people at an orphanage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, we harassed them for about 10 minutes. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Blake, he goes to fight Blight, and Blight surprisingly fights him pretty well, but then Santa whoops his ass and tosses him in the truck. <laughs> well, doesn't he try to use his stethoscope as nunchucks here? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, you've got someone that can shoot electricity. Why doesn't she fight everyone? <laughs> That's your go-to person to fight. Someone with superpowers. Instead right. of some scientist guy. <laughs> yeah. You're thinking he would be like the weakest of all of them. You've got a guy that has a tank of methane. You're telling me he couldn't fashion that in some kind of flamethrower? Come on. Dr. <laughs> Frost, get these people in shape. They're not living up to their potential. Not at all. When they get back inside, they celebrate, but then notice that Taylor is missing. Taylor's the little boy from the orphanage the time when they said this i was like i think that's the little boy from the orphanage and then i was like okay that is the little boy from the orphanage (laughs) (laughs) and they they then take off to go to the frost estate and we see that taylor is trying to sneak an attack with a slingshot in a window at frost from the outside but blake stops him before anything happens taylor says he was trying to be like santa and santa says i'm only tough when i have to be they, they they went up to Taylor, and this was after Santa Blake threw Lenny over a gate. He just picked him up, yes. threw him a, st- <laughs> a full-grown man who's got to be about 230, something like that, over a gate, just deadlifted him and just chucked him right up in the air, a story into the air. While they, they're there, they hear Frost's big desire for the orphanage, which leads them to wondering what's under it the next morning at breakfast. So the whole orphanage gang goes down to the vault in the basement to check it out, and after figuring the combination, it opens up to a fantastical cavern with crystals and such. This is a whole other realm of this could not possibly be under a house in America. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Uh, like Sarah says she read about the crystals. She, she knows what these are, the little girl played by Mila Kunis. Uh, they're very electrical and worth millions. And they all leave after one explodes. And Blake stops to wonder how the hell he knew the vault combination. So did I. And then wonders to Lenny if he's really Santa Claus. And then Lenny gives him his original clothes and tells him he found him in those. And he tries to sell the paint off his blood. He doesn't have all the answers for him, but just be Santa for the kids. And they'll fire out the rest later. And then Lenny goes to leave, but Frost calls him and asks for money. Blight shows up at the orphanage. Blake chases him through the halls. And they get to the roof where Blight winds up knocking him off. And he falls into a garbage truck. And it takes off where he sees his product in it. What happened was they they run to the top of a tower at at this mission. Blake beats the crap out of Dr. Blight. And then... This mechanical Santa somehow has enough strength to pick up Hulk Hogan <laughs> and throw him. Not just <laughs> drop him, but throw him into the street. Blake, like, it seems irresponsible to manufacture something that strong. Blake wakes up in his home in the Santa suit, and his butler brings him breakfast. And he remembers the orphanage, calls him, but his call's hijacked by Frost and his goons, and they have a 
pre-recorded doctored message from Leslie asking him to disappear forever. Hello? Leslie, it's me. Uh, Santa. What do you want? Huh? What do you mean? Ray and the kid's okay. I remember Dr. Blight was there. And Elizabeth screamed. And, and I think I fell off the roof. I'm sorry I left you and the kids. You're so fucked. Just leave us alone. Why don't you just disappear forever? I'm so glad that they knew that he was going to call them. Yeah. <laughs> there was no indication that he was going to call, but they were waiting for him to call. A, a team of like eight up. people made this phony call possible. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In two locations. Yeah. There, there's all of, of the super powered goons, you know, hanging out in a telephone pole. And then there's Dr. Frost and Dr. Blight back at their house. At the orphanage, the kids are watching the news, and the Frost crew breaks in, sterilizing the joint as Frost enters in a hazmat suit. And he takes them to the uh, orphanage dungeon, I guess we'll call it, and wants, <laughs> wants the kids to mine the, the crystals. He also reveals that Lenny has been a traitor to them this whole time. Blake's at home, and he gets a call from Lenny, who's sneaking around to tell him what's going on, but he's caught by Blight, who then taunts Blake on the phone, because that's real smart. They now have, also, I noticed, a muscle American samurai guy in their team. The bad guys. Yes, they do. Like, yeah, he just showed up. He's got a ton of character. They don't give us anything. Yeah, there's no background. What's his motivation? I, I, I need to know these things. So this is like a Asian guy played by someone who isn't Asian. Right. And I think Not at all. And I think you know who it is, right, Corey? I do. Yeah, it's funny. I, when the movie was done, I was reading the credits. It's like, and I saw his name. And I was yeah. like, who the hell was that? And I had to rewind. I was like, oh, my God, it is. It's Ed Leslie, who I mentioned earlier. <laughs> right. Who, who was uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah, so Brutus the Barber Beefcake is in this movie as, I don't know, Fu Manchu. I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what the hell he's I don't even know be. if he had a name. Yeah. And I he was giving him a name of the credits. He was Hogan's tag team partner for a while, right? That was they did tag for a little bit, yeah. Yeah, uh, but for the most part, yeah. He was. They were both singles wrestlers, and, but uh, but yeah, they were definitely friends in real life. For well, a long this time. was this is about the best role that he could probably hope to have. I don't see people lining up to see a Brutus the Barber Beefcake movie. People didn't line up for Hulk Hogan, you know, for, for this mm. movie. So what chance does Beefcake have? Hulk Hogan was like, listen, brother, they don't have any more parts for you, but I think we can get you in. <laughs> yeah, come down to Santa Monica for the day, and we'll just get you in a few scenes. Look, brother, you're not getting the part of Frost. They're going with Bagley. Um, <laughs> but I got something way, else. Uh, did Ed Bagley Jr. need, like, new solar panels for his house or something? Why is he in this movie? He probably originally signed on before this was ever Santa with Muscles and was the original script that was something completely different. Mm. And then it got redone two times, and he's like, well, you're stuck, Ed. You signed on. But it's nothing like what I signed on for. Well, I bet, like, Dr. Blight and, and Frost were probably, like, the same character. But then Bagley got to the set and it's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be doing a whole lot of this. This is, this is crap. So or, we probably split the part into, into two parts. Or he's like good friends with like Christopher Lloyd. He's like, hey, he's like, you did it. They're offering me this Hogan movie. He's like, oh yeah, do it, man. We had a good time. Big, big hit. <laughs> like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I get to sit in a mansion during the whole shoot. Great. Can't wait. I always wanted to yeah, do a probably, Christmas movie. He probably did all the mansion scenes in like maybe two days. 
and then spent maybe another two more days at the orphanage set. Yeah. So, less than a week. I mean, this movie couldn't have taken long to shoot. There's like three sets. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, there was that awesome action scene at the beginning, right? With the Humvee and the the cars and the paintball. Yeah, that's on second unit. Yeah, second unit. Then there there was the big day at the mall, where they had the mall for like, you know, 20 hours. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably filmed at night, too. Right, because most of that mall is, like, behind the scenes of the mall. Yeah. Uh, back at the other rich guy in town's estate, uh, Blake gathers his team to go to the orphanage. Well, he gets a chef, his driver, and his butler. Yes. That's his, that's his A-team to they, we go. Saw, they were kicking some ass at the beginning, we saw. Well, in their defense, they have been training with him. <laughs> they got three people that could be in a Richard Scary book. To go fight <laughs> super powered villains. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna assume his other buddy, his paintball guys, were all arrested in the opening and he bailed on them. They're probably not too happy with him. Or he called them up and they're like, Fuck you, you you took off on us. You left us for, <laughs> you know, you left us for the cops. I'm not helping you. You, you jumped out of a car instead of helping me. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna help you raid this orphanage. Bobby's got like psychological damage, man. He he doesn't he doesn't know if you're gonna stick with him or bail on him. I could I could have I could have drove this the Homer into another parked car. Yeah. You could have killed me. So no, I'm not helping you. It's hard for me to ride passenger anymore. I never know if someone's just gonna jump out of the car, man. I'm got PTSD right in the front seat. He always drives the car from that <laughs> yep. from now on. He never lets anyone else drive. Nope, nope, no, no, seriously, seriously, Bobby, I'll 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 drive to Sizzler. Nope, 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 nope. I'm I got it. I got it, man. <laughs> But and you know he goes to Sizzler. Yes. <laughs> Outside, Officer Clint Howard is practicing pulling people over to his own car, walking up to the window and reading, um, rehearsing some lines. Or they caught him rehearsing lines from scenes that weren't in the movie. One of the two. <laughs> you realize how fast you were going? No, no, no. Tough. Tough, tough. Hey. Turkey breath. Do you realize how fast you were going? The terrorists. Probably rehearsing for a different movie where he plays a cop. And then Blake flies by and he gets in and gives chase. More cops follow and so they start pouring Blake's salad dressing out the back to create a slick road which works it wor- and there's a, a huge yeah. puddle from the two little <laughs> bottles they are just dumping yeah if uh, salad dressing can make car you know lose control i don't know if it's safe to put in your body if it, yeah. if it can, you know a, a, a ton vehicle spin out of control i mean that's just gonna burn your insides like drano right guys Right. Yeah, see, that's why I don't eat salads. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I can't do it. And then they, they start dumping protein powder to block vision, to which Clint Howard says, I was in Desert Storm, you know! Which is the only time I've ever heard a movie have a guy brag about Desert Storm. <laughs> yeah. Also, were you driving a cop car in Desert Storm? Was he trying to compare, like, uh, blowing sand in the desert to... I think so. To the, to the yeah. powder? Oh, weight, yeah, weight gain powder. A little different. They end up getting blocked off by the cops at railroad tracks, and Clint Howard pulls in behind. <laughs> and then the cops by the railroad cra- tracks pull a rocket launcher on him. <laughs> what like, is the 
budget for this police department. Bizarre. As Blake drives to charge towards them, they fire the rocket launcher, and Blake dodges it, and it hits Clint Howard's car. Naturally. Yeah, and I don't know how Clint Howard isn't dead after that. No. (laughs) So Blake gets to the orphanage, and they attach jumper cables to the door of uh, the kitchen, and a goon we've not seen till now goes to answer it, and he gets shocked. When this happened, I'm like, okay, here we go. Reverse home alone. Right. So the kids are in the kitchen being guarded by who I'm guessing is Hulk Hogan's stunt double for this movie. He's got the similar haircut and the stash. Blake takes him out pretty easily. Just hits him with the door or or no, or just something because he tricks him well, to go look for something. He He's lucky not to be dead if, if Blake has the strength to throw a man, a full-grown man, a story <laughs> into the air and hold back an ice cream truck with his own strength. There's no way he couldn't just shatter someone's skull with his fist. And then he tells the kids that he's not Santa, and they're like, and Elizabeth goes, you're not Santa, you're better. He hands Taylor a fire extinguisher as they're sneaking around together. That ends up taking out Dr. Vile. Dr. Vile, who is just, I don't know, making a hole in a wall for some reason or another. Yeah, I I, I couldn't tell what he was I don't know what either. his task was. Fire they, siphoning off the natural gas or something? I could yeah. So they spray him with the fire extinguisher, and then he has stink gas on himself, but they throw it into his suit, and then Blake straight up strangles him with duct tape. I know he's trying to make sure that it's closed off to the helmet part, but man, he is just wrapping that tight around his neck. So what he tries yeah. to do is uh, choke him and then suffocate him with methane gas. They gas him up, and then they go find the next goon, which happens to be the Ms. Watt, the electric lady, and she snags Blake and throws him into the church, and then the the big samurai American Brutus Bar- Barber Beefcake guy shows up, and he's taken out because Blake just stomps on a pew, which rises up. <laughs> And knocks him out like a seesaw. Lenny then appears atop the balcony and dumps water on Ms. Watt. She just shocks. She's knocked out. Which, when it ended, I was like, how does she not die from that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's literally shooting electricity out of her hands, gets water dumped on her, and doesn't die. She probably should have, like, at least two times. There's multiple attempted murder in this scene. Yeah. (laughs) So Lenny puts on his elf hat and then swings down from the balcony. Him and Blake make up, and they go to find Leslie and Clayton, and he kicks down the door of the room that they're in, but there's nobody guarding it or anything. So they're like, whoa, that was a bit much. Leslie goes to find the children, but Clayton tells Blake, you know, stay here. And he then lets him know (laughs) that he grew up at the orphanage. It's like, this isn't the first time Blake's had amnesia in his life, right? Like, Blake Thorne, what's the matter? Blake Tarachevsky doesn't fit on the bottle. How did you? Isn't it coming back to you yet, son? You grew up here. Look. Is that me? There's more. You see the boy sitting right next to you? He was your best friend, Edna Frost. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I love that. I love that that he says. You know, uh, Blake, come over here and sit down. Hey, you know, we're being invaded by these super-powered monsters that want to take over the, the orphanage. But sit down for a moment. Take a breath. I, I'm going to tell you your backstory. Yeah, he was sitting kind of comfortably in his office to begin with. 
<laughs> when all that was going on outside. I bet in I bet in Garrett Morris's contract it said I have to be sitting through forty percent of the film. So uh, Doctor Blight, he's talking to Leslie and he's trying to schmooze her, and the kids are sneaking in around, and she plays along with Doctor Blight as she watches the kids open the freezer, and then she gets mad, pushing him, and they trip him into the freezer and close it off and then, then they go off to find blake and blake is in the caverns and he confronts ebby as he calls him and then then ebby realizes that it's blake lenny ends up smashing the geologist guy behind the door of the vault blake is trying to find frost in that small room with the crystals there's no way anyone could hide from anyone in there but frost yeah, manages to yeah He's trying to talk him down, but Frost isn't listening. And then Blake tells him being Santa opened his eyes about himself, and he didn't like what he saw. And then Frost grabs a big old crystal and swings it at Blake. Blake grabs one, so sword fight with electrical blow-up crystals. I had a feeling a lightsaber battle was going to happen. Right. I just want to make sure everyone understands what's happening in this movie right now, that Ed Bagley Jr. in a hazmat suit... <laughs> is fighting, using electric crystals to fight Hulk Hogan dressed as Santa Claus. Someone funded this. Under In a, in a magical cavern underground an <laughs> orphanage. Yeah, they're more or less in Fraggle Rock under an orphanage, <laughs> fighting with electric crystals. <laughs> Blake, uh, so the kids show up, and Lenny ends up pulling the pipe on the hazmat suit and Blake knocks Frost out and then the cavern starts shaking and they realize it's gonna blow and they evacuate. Frost won't leave but Blake drags him and they all make it outside. Kind of electric buildup? Right. I guess from their crystal fights? They, They go outside and they watch the orphanage electrify and come crumbling down and then Clint Howard in his blown up squad car pulls up and he pulls a gun on everyone. And then we get, like, a, a blackout fade to a news van showing up to interview Clint Howard. And I'm like, wait, did we really need that? We're in the same spot with the same people, and, like, five minutes has passed. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, for all for all the, the crap that we gave Clint Howard's character through the movie, you got to say that he was really a good cop. I mean, in the end, he found everybody. He found it's, the guy. And pulled a the gun on again. them. I know. <laughs> on the kids. Kids, yeah. Um, well, he didn't know who was in... Who was the guilty parties for blowing up the orphanage? They so. could be. They could just be little people disguised as orphans. He doesn't know. It's very true. It is Christmas time, so they could be elves. You know, they're probably not the elves that were uh, genetically engineered by Nazis to mm-hmm. uh, bring about the Third Reich, right? Correct? No, right. no, no, no. They weren't. They actually worked at the mall. <laughs> A little bit different. You know what? I have noticed we are this is our third holiday Christmas episode, and they've all had some sort of action sequence happen at a mall. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Elves, the mall was a central place in that one. Um, We've had two mall Santas as lead characters. Hey, pretty cool stuff. Thankfully, Hulk Hogan didn't say oral in this movie. Thankfully. (laughs) So, oh god. So Clint Howard is being interviewed by the news lady, but she takes more interest in Dr. Blight, who's being rolled out uh, of there. And Blake looks and says, I guess he'll have a chance to defrost himself. (laughs) Which is greeted by the most uproarious laughter (laughs) to something that wasn't funny at all. Like they are just like, that was the best joke ever told. 
it's like Showtime at the Apollo for those kids. They yeah. the funniest fucking thing they'd ever heard. And it's not even that great because, oh, I guess he has a chance to defrost. You know what? That would have been an awesome joke if Frost was thrown in the freezer. He has a chance to defrost. Instead, it's just that chump Dr. Blight, which makes me wonder, again, if the Dr. Frost character was split up in the two different characters. It make a lot I'm more starting, sense. I'm starting to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It would make a lot more sense if it was Dr. Frost, not just some chump that got thrown in a freezer. Because that kind of reaction, that should be some kind of pun that they're all laughing wildly about. Not just, <laughs> that guy almost died in a freezer, right, kids? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of going along with that and with what Brandon said about, uh, you know, maybe it went through two rewrites. So that's why there's three different writers on it and why the stories are so weird. It's like, oh, we'll keep this and drop this. And the next one... Uh, we'll keep this to drop this and add this. And so you get a mixture of five different stories. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like it started as a really crappy comedy, and then it morphed into a kid's movie. Yeah. The beginning, the beginning of it with the whole, the, uh, the font and the color scheme that they used for the opening credits and the way it was kind of slowly moving in, and even some of the music, I thought it was a horror movie to start with. Yeah, it did have kind of that. <laughs> yeah. It had, like, that hand-drawn title sequence. Yeah, and then and then it slowly started getting into it. It's like, wait, that started weird. I mean, it was just, just for, you know, maybe 15 seconds. It's like, wow, this is on the horror side of things. All the bad guys are getting put in the paddy wagon. Frost rolls by in the back of a squad car, and Hulk says something again, dumb, and they all laugh like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not through with you, Blake. I'm just getting <laughs> And since the orphanage is, is destroyed, Blake lets them all live at, is it his house or Frost's house? That was his house, I believe. Okay, cause I the think it was his house? Yard, I, like, I thought, but then I'm like, looking, I'm like, wait. And then he's like, I know a place that isn't going to be used. And I'm like, wait, did he move him into Frost's house? Maybe he did. And it, it had, like, the front yard decorations that made me think more Frost's house. But I couldn't tell. I didn't know. Like, I thought Blake's well, house was a little bit more white in color. And this place was, like, dark brick. Yeah, well, my first it, thought was his house. It's difficult to tell if it's the Frost house because there isn't constant stuff being sprayed in the air, which... I didn't realize it was disinfectant until Frost showed up at the orphanage in the hazmat suit. Yeah. So the yeah, there's like there's a lot of kids now and they have a so did like the kids that got adopted at the orphanage now get given back to the orphanage? Is that what we have here? Yeah, it's now not really made yeah. clear if he adopted the kids or I mean I guess they are, I don't know, but all the other kids are there for I don't know, a party because they're all wearing party hats. So I mean it's Seems like it's someone's birthday, but it isn't, so maybe it is. That's they just left that out of the script. <laughs> so wherever they're at, they got a clear view of the prison uh, via a telescope <laughs> to watch the bad guys. <laughs> like this this crappy telescope, you could probably see like maybe a city, like, like a block away, but somehow it has a remarkable telescoping power, so it can see across... I don't know, wherever the prison is, I hope it's not by Blake's house. Right. <laughs> Blake celebrates with the kids, and then he has his Santa hat, and he tosses it, and it lands on a bush, and then we slowly <laughs> zoom at it, and we zoom some more, 
And and then we zoom a little more. And then credits! Black <laughs> screen and then credits. Like, that was oh, creepy, right? That was so cr- I was like, wait. It was what's, weird. Why are we what, Why are we still here? Why are we still here? What's going to happen? <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, like, is the tree going to move? Or the... Is, like, the real Santa going to come through the bushes and go, ho, 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 or something? Like, Charles was going to jump out from behind a bush. Was there a bad guy left? Like, what? And and this follows, uh, what's her name? Like, the the, the little uh, blonde girl. She says, wow, what a Christmas miracle. What? Is it, like, the next day? Is this a year later? What's happening? Because the bad guys are already in jail. They're in striped outfits. They have been... (laughs) Convicted and sent to prison. It's one of those uh, very quick judicial systems. Did you do it? We know you did it. You're you're in uh, 15 years. Bye. So what you're saying is this takes place in the Back to the Future continuity where all lawyers have been abolished, so the legal system moves much faster. Yes, correct. That makes se- that makes sense to me. Well, you know, they were already pulling stuff from other ideas and whatnot. None of the ideas made any sense. It was just a mishmash of stuff. Let's just grab from other movies, too. <laughs> wow! A Christmas miracle! I do believe in you. Blake. Now comes the point of the episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As we are a cult cinema cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our options are as follows. Stay with your family, which means you want to go the way of the orphanage and get out of town, leave it by crumbling or having Frost uh, do away with you. Converted, which means eh, you're, you're down with some uh, Blake products. You like the whey powder. You like the cereal. You're down. You think they're all right. Or drinking the Kool-Aid, which means you are Santa Claus come to save the town from mutants a guy named frost dare kids that want to steal things everything you love so cory miller how do you rate santa with muscles this was not that great of a film believe it or not does not rank real high on my christmas movies however i will say i'm converted it's cheesy enough uh the story actually is not too bad if you get if you shave off some of the extra stuff uh, that wasn't really needed. wasn't that bad, so I'm going with converted. Cullen, this is a comedy that is not funny. I don't believe I left once during this, which is not a great sign. However, this does have the cinematographer f- from Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders, so that's a bonus. Man, I, I-, I will say this. If you choose to watch this movie, don't watch it alone. If you watch it alone... You're going to come to grips with reality that this is what you've chosen to do with your time and your life. But if you do with other people, not bad. Or at least less bad or tolerable. So I am converted as long as you're not the only person in the room. Brandon, how do you rate Santa with Muscles? Santa with Muscles is... I mean, it, it has stuff that delivers i mean it, it, there's high there are there are, there are highlights in this movie there it's just mind-boggling like how any of this went together and came together and just was thought to be okay or just made it's it's a really bad christmas movie it's got some highlights and stuff but i i cannot maybe i have to say what cullen said and you gotta you can't watch it alone but as many highlights and the, the end starts kicking into gear but 
I cannot forget how excruciatingly long this felt watching it. Like there, <laughs> and the problem is we we talked about there's a lack of sets, so you're looking at the same stuff over and over, and the and there's a repetitiveness to the villains just showing up at the orphanage, causing trouble, leaving, showing up at the orphanage, causing trouble, leaving. It just felt so long to watch. I do think once you know Blake's like, let's go save the orphanage, my butler driver and chef that is is pretty awesome but leading up to it just took forever there's highlights i'm gonna stay with my family but there's good stuff to hear but i just i couldn't i don't know i could sit through this again (laughs) it's weird because i'm like no there's good stuff but i don't make me sit through this again would i show some people it maybe but It's rough. Of, of the three Christmas movies we've done so far, this is my least favorite of them. And the other two, like, I really... I think I drank the Kool-Aid on both of them, and now I'm down to, <laughs> to, to staying with my family. But, yeah, the highlights, but is it worth it? I don't know. If this movie was more quotable, that would definitely help. There really aren't that many... I guess from now on, I, I probably will say, he'll have plenty of time to defrost. I'm going to say that. And just wait oh. for the jokes to the, the laughter to roll in. Don't stop and smell the roses, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and, there was a significant lack of him saying brother. Yeah. Yeah. It needed more of that. I and it's funny, like I think a lot of the fun of this movie comes telling somebody about what exactly you saw and not believing what's coming out of your mouth. That's part of the fun with this movie, but sitting to actually have to watch it to be able to tell somebody about it, therein lies the challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I said that <laughs> a guy in a hazmat suit is playing with laser crystals, you know, <laughs> with a guy dressed as Santa Claus under an orphanage. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, it, yeah. it makes no sense. The script is, is all over the place. It is, yeah, it is definitely. There is like three separate movies going on trying to blend together and never coming together. I like yeah. that you said that it felt like it was long because when I was watching, it was like, man, this thing's really clipping. This is really moving along. This is great. I took breaks. I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, because I got to a point, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're get- oh man, we have 55 minutes left. Oh my god. I-, I will say to you what I texted to you earlier today that at least Santa with muscles is easier to watch than Hard Rain. Strong disagree. Strong <laughs> disagree. We'll leave that there. Strong disagree. I just want the crystals. How'd I do? Weasels. If you guys are bucking for a Christmas bonus, forget it. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Doctor Who and the Daleks from 1965. It's uh, New Year's Day when our episode drops in. In the new year, we'll have a new Doctor. It's about time we did something for Doctor Who here. Joining us, we'll have from Starry Night Productions and Big Finish Productions, Russell McGee, who has served as sound designer on various Doctor Who audio adventures. I want to thank everyone who is celebrating their holidays by listening to us and talk about Hulk Hogan. And I want to thank Corey Miller for coming in and talking Hulk Hogan with us. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast, and I'm just glad to be here. Glad to do the show, finally. Corey, where can people find all your podcasts at? Uh, you can find the podcast, The Showdown and WrestleMania, on iTunes. For The Showdown, it's on Google Play. It's on Stitcher, Spreaker, Podomatic. Uh, WrestleMania is also on Podomatic. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, at NKOGonzo. And you can also find links to uh, both those shows on the profile page of Twitter. Awesome. Thank you. 
we look forward to next time, but first, stay tuned to the trailer for Doctor Who and the Daleks, the trailer that actually trails. Hello, darling. Hello. It began just as you see here. Do you know what you have just done? You have transferred us in time and space, and I hadn't even set the controls. No, I don't know where we are. We could be anywhere in the universe, and at any time. Yes, this is how it began. The adventure that started by accident. Taking us out of this time and place to a lost planet. Who's there? Who's there? Come with us into that strange new world. I cannot guarantee your safety, but I can promise you unimagined thrills. petrified forest. Meet the Thars, the blonde giants who have survived the monstrous rule of the Daleks. We must get to the city. They could have scanners here, anything. I'm going back. No, you're not. We'll be killed. We'll never defeat the Daleks. Remember, we are watching you. We can destroy you. It's a trap! Go back! Come! These are the people trapped by the Daleks. Doctor Who, the brilliant science professor. The young man who triggered off this strange journey. The professor's frightened granddaughter. And the youngster who inherited her grandfather's adventurous spirit. Doctor Who and the Daleks. Now you can see them in color on the big screen, closer than ever before. So close, you can feel their fire. So thrilling, you must be there. Barbara, look behind you! Stop the countdown! The bomb will destroy the planet! Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker, edited by Brandon Peters, narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade.
is here to spread cheer all over Monday Night Raw, brother. Hogan got his big start up this way. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. It's not like that. It's Ho, Ho, Hogan. Ho, Ho, Hogan. Ho, Ho, Hogan. Ho, Ho, Hogan. Bunch of subordinate clauses here. Ho, Ho, Ho. Anyway, tonight, I'm going to be giving presents to all the WWE superstars and to you, the WWE Universe. Oh, boy. <laughs> 